One good thing that happened to me during the pandemic was to consider restarting my podcast, which I stopped after five episodes in 2016. Stuck at home with time on my hand, I wanted to put the microphone I bought for a better Zoom meeting experience to more use. I tried recording the podcast via Zoom, but it wasn't good. The sound quality was less than ideal, and any intermittent connection issues made it worse. Fortunately, I found Zencaster, a dedicated platform for virtual audio and video podcast recording. It provides crystal clear sounds, which is recorded locally before being pushed to the cloud. This way, you don't have to worry about any inherent connection issues that may disrupt your audio quality. And if you wish to do video, it allows you to record in gorgeous 1080p HD. The best tool is useless if it is too complicated. Zencaster resides on the web and there is nothing to download. If you know how to use the browser, you would know how to use Zencaster. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. If you go to zen.ai slash agenttan and enter the promo code agenttan, you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash agenttan. It's time to share your story. My guest today is Saurav Chopra. He is the founder of 5 Minutes, which aims to help companies build a learning culture by focusing on bite-sized learnings that take employees no more than 5 minutes a day to learn, and with it, to help them unlock their fullest potential. Before 5 Minutes, Saurav founded Perkbox, where they help more than 5,000 companies across 60 countries improve their employee experience. Hi Saurav, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Where does this podcast find you? I'm actually in London. So, okay. yeah, we're a global team. Some of our team is in the UK. So I'm personally based in London and we, our teams are pretty much distributed around the world from Argentina to Paris to Portugal to London. And we're um, hoping to have team members join in APAC as well very soon. Starting with Singapore, I hope. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we have a lot of customers there, so we definitely need to set up our presence there. It's ramping up very quickly. Great, great. So when it comes to the kind of challenges that we have in learning, maybe I could just share a bit about my experience when I was still working in the corporate world a few years ago. Learning typically means downtime. You go to some ballroom in a hotel, you spend two days there, and by third day, you basically forget 75% of what you learned. But I had a great time. And it's also because I would need to spend those money because everyone has a L&D allocated budget. So how does this whole thing not gel with the company objective and what modern companies or modern organizations actually aim to achieve? Yeah, I think you are spot on there. I think learning the way it's done traditionally in companies is a lot of companies follow what is called a 70-20-10 model, which is 70% of learning is from job-related experiences, 20% from interactions, and then 10% from formal educational events. Now, that's what you're referring to when you say, hey, I did this course, I did an event. It's more of a formal event where a budget is allocated. So I think if we take a step back and say, hey, is this 70-20-10 model even relevant nowadays? And is it relevant for the world we live in, the world we work in, right? Look at the pace of change in the last three years, right? Remote work was something most companies had not had heard of, never put in practice. Now it's the rage technology trends. Look at three years ago, it was all about Facebook, Instagram marketing, and now it's about TikTok. World is changing so, so fast that first of all, you got to ask yourself, is that 70-20-10 model even relevant right now? The second thing is that your the 10% model, which traditionally companies have followed and said, hey, 
these are the training events. They could be offline events. Obviously, over COVID, they became online events, a lot of online learning, online events, online courses. So what we've learned uh, based on, obviously, uh, our own experiences and the research we've done is that's really a lot of those events, whether it's online courses or offline events that companies follow, are, are almost like vanity signaling, or as you said, an admin method of burning a learning budget or whatever you may call it, because it's not just the objectives of the business, it's the potential of the people. The, la the worst thing a company can do is not help their people fulfill their full potential. Let's go bottom up. Let's look at the potential of the people, the objectives that people have set for themselves. And I think that's where it's not meeting the end goals. Why? Look at online course completion rates, right? When people do online courses, there's a lot of stats in them, you can find them publicly that less than course completion rates on online courses are between five and 20%. So five to 20% of the people who actually start a course that they have paid for or their company has paid for actually completed. That tells you that it's not working, right? Secondly, the companies that have learning budgets, uh, a lot less than 20, 25% of the budgets actually get used by people. And most of the people using those budgets, usually in tech companies, are engineers, all right? 75 to 80% of the people will say that learning and training they get in their companies are not helping them meet their goal, professional objectives and stuff like that. So it's completely broken. Why is it broken? It's because a lot of the traditional learning is focused on this vanity signaling, let's do a course, let's get a certificate. And that doesn't, it's not helping anyone fulfill their potential. It's not helping them at an individual level. It's not helping them at a team level, which means at a company objective level, it's completely broken. The only thing it's helping the company probably do is spend their learning budget. And that's not right. And it's a big problem. And imagine if you had a situation where people were excited, motivated by what they're learning. They really felt when they came in every day, they had that curiosity that helps them drive that innovation in a company. You could transform individuals, you could transform teams, and you could transform organizations, right? So that the fundamental piece is that, and it's a very, it's not a virtuous loop because you do this course, you get a certificate, okay, you can use that certificate. But then as you said earlier, week, two weeks, you've forgotten everything. That means you feel like, ah, oh, I didn't learn anything. That means you know, the curiosity that you have is dimmed. If you're not sparking your curiosity, we're actually making you fatigued with learning that's not working for you. A lot of some studies I was recently came across is that people are 20% less curious six months into a job than they were when they were started the job. Now that's a really poor stat because as we're all very curious people and when you join a company, when you're exposed to new things, you should actually be even more curious. But the flip side is true, which is we're actually making people less curious. And that's tied to how we are coaching them, how we are growing them, how we are encouraging their curiosity through learning and development practices that a company is using. I couldn't agree more about what you mentioned on this uh, virtual signaling, this posturing when it comes to those big scale events. I do re recall even until today when I go into LinkedIn, I often see a lot of pictures, selfie with me, people take from all these different training program, but I always wonder what exactly is the end goal that they're trying to achieve. Other than, of course, just taking pictures with a group of other people. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, the completion rate for online training program is incredibly low. And even for myself, I have 10 programs that I have earmarked to complete. Mm -hmm. Since two years ago, <laughs> I'm still mm -hmm. trying to get my ass to it. Mm -hmm. And according to LinkedIn, they actually did a study. L&D learners actually spend 23% less time learning nowadays on the platform, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. And we imagine, hey, in a modern world where remote first, you have all this hybrid world, just pro providing people with 
means of learning at home at the comfort on their couch, on their sofa, on their bed might make sense. For the uninitiated, could you help us to understand why is the completion rate or even the initiation rate for online training programs which are readily available on your computer, on your phone, so incredibly low? Yeah, so I think f- based on our analysis, there are multiple factors. So firstly, there's a lot of friction around learning, right? What does that mean? I think the first point of friction is people just don't have the time, right? Everybody's super busy. Targets only get harder. And then you're asking your people, hey, spend three hours on a course. How do you find time that one, two, three, four hours, right? And do you need that one, two, three, four hours? So I think fundamentally the online learning model is structured into these chunky, chunky blocks that people don't have time for. Obviously, that's what we do at 5 Minutes, which is that we fit learning into your daily schedule. So you can always find a couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there, right? So I think that's a fundamental factor, which is learning should fit around people's schedules and not people shouldn't have to find time. And that is the first barrier of friction, right? That's why you find such that initiation problem. And also when it's initiated, then you find that completion problem, right? I think the second thing is that most people actually don't know what to learn. So if you ask, I think there are different categories of people. So I think if you look at more technical engineering and that IT type individuals, it's different because they have, they will pick a framework, they will go with that framework or a language and they'll focus on it and they'll go deep learn in that area. But if you look at, let's say you're fresh into your job, you're a new product manager, new marketing manager, new social media manager. If I said, hey, go learn, you actually don't have a clue what is the best learning path for you. And what companies don't do is help guide people into those learning paths, right? So what happens with traditional online platforms is uh, imagine you go to an ice cream shop and that's got 25,000 ice creams, but you're not going to buy it. Uh, but if I knew what your taste buds like, what you normally eat, and I gave you a selection of three or four, you will go and readily have that ice cream. Right? It's a paradox of choice. Everybody knows it. And you know, a lot of studies have been done. So I think that's the problem. A lot of people, a lot of traditional platforms, they just, you search for something, you'll get 25 recommendations and that creates even more friction. That creates even more anxiety. That creates anxiety for learners. So that, that's what they may, either they don't start something or they start something and they're like, ah, this is not exactly what I was looking for. Not only is a time factor a big issue, the second factor equally important is that People need paths that guide them, right? But if you're on the flip side, if you're an HR manager or an L&D manager, how do you create learning paths for 70, 80, 100 roles in your company? You don't know what's happening in social media. You don't know what's happening in the latest and greatest in customer success or account management. So it's very hard. So I think one conundrum is how do you create those learning paths? The second is for no HR function or L&D function, it's very hard to do. And so that problem needs to be solved. I think the third factor is that we're all social animals. So uh, when we are at university, when we're at school, we learn together. And that piece, which is learning together, the social learning aspect is completely missing from online platforms. And imagine if you were a kid and you, were, you went to school and you were the only child in the classroom and there was one teacher, would your motivation be the same unless compared to when you were surrounded by other kids and you were learning together. So I think that peer learning is a big piece that is completely missing. So I think there are three elements. One is friction, which is around time. People don't have the time. The second is the paths, not knowing what to learn. And the third is the fact that we learn best when we learn together. 
And that is most learning platforms really do not facilitate that at all in many shape or form. And in companies, a great thing is that you have this social learning cohort, which is the team, right? A team is driven towards a purpose. A team is driven to a targets. And most learning platforms really don't harness the power of the team to drive learning inside an organization. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Special thanks to Zencaster for sponsoring today's episode. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process quick and painless, the way it should be. I'm obsessed with quality and Zencaster delivers crystal clear audio and stunning HD video. Not to mention that it's easy to use even for my less tech-savvy guests. There's nothing to download. They simply click on the link and begin recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience as simple as possible. You don't have to leave your browser to finish the episode because the tool includes everything from local recording to automatic post-production. Take the next step in your podcasting journey. Go to zen.ai slash adriantan and enter the promo code adriantan and you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash adriantan and remember to enter in the promo code adriantan at checkout. It's time to share your story. I think one of the key factors when it comes to the time issue is also how training are usually structured. When yeah. companies want to engage a trainer or to look at some training program, they seem to think that more is better and more equal to better quality. It's like reading a thicker book rather than a thinner book. In fact, if you take a step back, I would much rather read a thinner book where I can get the same amount of knowledge in a shorter period of time. I would even pay more for the thinner book, in fact rather than go through that thick book, which would take me ages to complete. So I guess there is this contradiction where trainers just want to build more hours or training provider want to be perceived as being a bit more credible by just putting in all the paddings to make sure that to provide that perception across. But to, as you mentioned also as well, firstly, you have to find time. Even mm -hmm. if company is able to give you that three hours a week, are you able to even have that kind of attention spent to spend three hours non-stop. I can't even go through a lot of the ring in three hours without going to <laughs> be distracted by something else. So what say of a training program? And the other thing that you mentioned is the uh, paradox of choice. It, it reminded me of going into any Chinese restaurant where there's 200 items on the menu. Mm -hmm. To the point about making time for training program, I would want to understand as well, do you see it as an employer's responsibility to allocate time within working hours? And also, how much time do you do we actually need to consume any form of training which is useful for us to level up ourselves? Yeah, so I think there are obviously multiple points there. And I definitely agree with your example of the Chinese restaurant. I've been in the same situation, not just the Chinese, a lot of other types, Indian restaurant as well, just the same situation. I think the what you said about more is better attitude, which is a lot of people obviously in the industry have, I think that is definitely what's happening. I think one of the fundamental things that people are forgetting is that the only resource or asset that we have that does not come back is time. Money you lose, it comes back, but time you lose, it never comes back. And I think that mindset needs to be applied when it comes to learning as well. It's not about more, it's about less, right? Less is more. I think the when you talk about organizations putting time buckets in people's calendar. I think that's a tricky one because if you look at, hey, I put a three-hour slot in your calendar on Friday or you've got these targets that you're thinking about as a manager, as a team. You've got three-hour slot. You're not going to spend that three-hour slot on learning. You're going to focus that three-hour slot 
on the targets that you need to hit. And that'll, and if you don't, that'll create anxiety in the back of your mind that, hey, are these targets that I need to hit? So I don't think slotting like that for the company is the right way to do things. I think what companies should do is encourage people to find time and then give them the tools that allow and help people find time in their calendar. So it needs to adapt to someone's schedule as opposed to forcing slots in people's schedules. That's the first thing. And those slots really need to be bite-sized because people don't have chunks they can just put in their diary to block out things. The second thing is to adapt and nudge people to, uh, nudge people to adapt some of their existing working models or schedules to, to include learning in. For example, every team has got team meetings, right? And one-on-one review sessions. So how about when you had your team meetings, why don't you spend first five, 10 minutes talking about what you've learned, right? And sharing that knowledge. So you're doing two things here. You're adapting to people's schedules. You're allowing people to do peer knowledge sharing. And that's peer learning. That's one of the most important things. So it's a lot easier than changing wholesale change in behavior to adapt to existing behaviors and slotting learning in it, whether it's team meetings, whether it's managers one-on-one review sessions with their their, uh, reports to say, hey, what have you learned this week? What do you want to learn next week? Why don't you spend five, 10 minutes here and adapt to that schedule? That's really key if you want to build a learning learning culture. I think the second thing, which, you know, which I didn't mention earlier, but if you look at the principles of neuroscience and how we learn as humans, it's really important to learn in bite-sized mode. Secondly, it's really important to recap what you've learned. The way a lot of courses work, you talk about forgetting, right? So there's this Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, which I'm sure you've come across, which is you forget 80% in a week, 75% in a day and whatnot. The way to counter that is through repetition. So the best way of learning is that this is how kids learn at school is chunking, repetition, and recall. So you break big things into chunks. You then repeat that information, and then you recall that information. So it helps strengthen your neuron synapses. It's like training your learning muscle, right? Every muscle needs training. You don't go to the gym every six months and work out for four hours or a day, right? You have to work out on a regular basis. So it's about strengthening that muscle. So even if companies said, hey, I'll put learning blocks in your calendar three hours every week, actually, it's a really bad way of learning because you're not really helping learn, right? You're better off chunking and saying, hey, five, try learning a few minutes every day or 10 minutes every other day. Chunking, repetition, and recall is the way you should learn everything. So even if you're doing long form courses and whatnot, but you know, long form courses and deep learning is good if you practice recalls. So if you're doing a, if the company is organizing a training course for you, a leadership training, what they should really make sure is that they're putting in recall and repetition on what you've learned. You do a training course, you should have a week later, a couple of weeks later, to repeat bite-sized information on that. You should have recall questions a month later, because that's how you're going to keep your memory fresh. Otherwise, you're going back to all the bad habits that you're trying to unlearn a month later. So I think big chunks of time are not the way to learn is basically what we're saying. And then not only because it's not feasible for people's schedules, but also scientifically is actually the bad way of learning by taking just big chunks. And I think that one of that person would be myself because right now I actually allocate two hours a week every Thursday morning to to go through learning. But oftentimes I just fall sideways because two hours is just too long. And to what you said, that two hours probably should be broken into, I would imagine, 15, 20 minutes per day instead. And to go through that, 
uh, learning, recall, repeat, so on and so forth, just mm -hmm. to make sure that things actually get into your head. What is your personal learning schedule like? And how do you navigate based on, I would imagine, a very busy timetable that you have running a company like 5 Minutes? I tend to follow that model of 15, 20 minutes a day. I try to do it, depending again on the calendar, I try to do it. If I can, either I do 15, 20 minutes right in the morning, or I'll break it into 10-minute chunks in the morning and in the evening. And then what I try to do is really try to recall what I learned yesterday. So I find that really powerful. So even if I'm walking, say, let's say I read these blogs and I spend 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening, and the next day, I'm going to try to recall actually what I learned. And that is just a piece of training that I, I started doing when I started building five minutes and I learned more about neuroscience and how our brain works. And previously, I would just read and move on to the next thing, read and move on to the next thing. But what I found is that when I recall and challenge myself, hey, what did I read in that? And I almost quiz myself when, my, when I'm walking or going for a walk or an idle time. That actually strengthens my retention a lot. So that's usually my learning style, either a chunk in the morning, 15, 20 minutes, or break it, or 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening, because our pace of change is so fast that you be like yourself, I need to keep on top of things. But doing that recall piece is very, I found it to be very powerful. Just asking myself, what did I learn? Yes. I'll definitely give you a try on my slide over the next two weeks and see how it goes. To an earlier point that you mentioned as well, where learning seems to have no objective in mind for many people because they do not know where to start. So at the individual level, what are your advice for anyone who is keen to learn, but really do not know what's the first step? What he or she should go for? Should I just go for, oh, AI is a trend right now. Let me hit in the direction or sculpturing is actually something that I'm interested in. <laughs> should I get into that instead? What? Our recommendation is, and again, our system automates this. So I think the ideal method for employee to learn should be really a skills-based method, which is to learn specifically the job skills they need to develop, allocate a chunk of time for that. So let's say you can pick a number, you can say, hey, 80%, I want to focus on my job skills, and then 20%, I want to focus on cross-functional skills. So if you're in sales, you want to spend 80% on time on sales-related knowledge and 20% on your uh, cross-functional skills that may be around product or marketing and stuff like that, right? So again, I'm talking about in your professional remit, what do you want to learn? Obviously, if you want to say, hey, broader, then you should also spend some time focusing on what we call life skills, right? So if you want to include the life skills element, so maybe you want to do 60, 20, 20, or 70, 20, 10, you pick as a user, as an employee, what you want to learn. And so you pick which allocation you want to do. And then you want to probably dive into what are the job-related skills that I need. Now, ideally, you want to have a system doing that, which is like a, the five-minute system, the skills-based learning approach. But let's say you didn't have that and you want to say, hey, I want to be a better customer, a success manager or account manager. And then you should say, hey, these are the five skills I need to develop. It, that could be account planning, account management, could be negotiations, and then have a very targeted to follow that skill. So once you've decided, hey, this is my broad time allocation, right? And then you can say, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, as I'm focusing on my job skills, and then Tuesdays, I'm focusing on cross-functional skills, and Thursdays, I'm focusing on life skills or whatnot, right? And like little chunks of time. Again, I'm talking about 10 minutes, not more than that. And then you figure out, hey, what are the job skills I need to do? What are the cross-functional skills? Uh, and the cross-functional side is just learning something that's not your core job. And that's really important because that really opens your eyes up to how different functions or different roles in a company operate. 
And it just broadens your perspective. The best way we learn is by broadening our perspectives. And that's why it's so important to learn something beyond your core job. And then life skills is really an undervalued area. It's something that, especially in growth companies and in this day and age with the pace of change, we need most. Like how do you build your resilience? How do you build a growth mindset? How do you build perspective? Those things are really valuable, right? When you have a growth mindset, you're learning even more. So I think that's would be by recommendation, right? Figure out your job skills that you need to develop and pick the ones that you wanna you wanna get better at and then go and learn in those specific areas, right? Rather than going broad and saying, hey, how to become a better customer success manager or whatnot, I, I would prefer you better off doing a razor sharp focus on certain skills for that role. And then similarly, look at the cross-functional areas, pick an area that you think you're interested in developing. And then the same thing with life skills. So that would be my allocation. It's not an easy thing. That's why we have built our product. <laughs> but, but it's got to be skills-based. And that's the only way you will find bite-sized information out there is when you go really focused on specific skills. And I guess sometimes it just depends on how you mesh all these different skill sets, the new one and the old ones together. I'm reminded of Steve Jobs saying that he took up calligraphy and that somehow had an impact on how they created a font on Apple computer. I'm very certain when he opted to go for calligraphy course, it never occurred to him, hey, this is going to be useful when I come up with a font on my first Apple computer. But somehow things just click. So it is just a way to expand your viewpoint as well as the arsenal that you have under your belt and uniquely as a professional, see how you can try to mesh them together and present a value proposition across to your employers, across to your customers, so on and so forth. I also want to just understand as well when it comes to the mode of learning in today's context versus how things were learned before. Obviously, that has changed dramatically in which there are things like LXP, learning experience platform coming mm -hmm. into the market to provide different mode of learning for the same material. It could be, oh, you learn through a podcast, you learn through an event, so on and so forth. How would that be useful in the bigger scheme of things? Because how do I even determine which is the best mode for me to learn? And also, how can we use that as a mean to even help us learn better and learn? So I think going back to the previous point, which is like people, most people don't know what to learn. Right. I think if you take that as your kind of lens into this is that first, I think people need to understand clearly and have clear paths of what they need to learn. Right. And then to me, the mode comes next. I think we spend a lot of time talking about, hey, what is my preferred learning style and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that's a real problem. Right. The real problem is people not knowing what to learn. Right. So that discovery of learning tied to what I need to learn is really critical. And then the mode comes next because the mode is tied to what you're going to learn. And then I think, again, it's a discovery process. Right. We assume a lot of things. We assume where we want to learn this. We assume that this is my mode. But the only way is to discover different modes once you know what you need to learn and figure out that what really works for you. Right, but you need to go through a discovery process because the what, the one thing you one should not do is assumptions. Right in tech, we always say, right, I always say, hey, I, I don't know, I don't have the answer. I'll test and find out. Especially, and that method, you test and learn, should be applied to learning. Right, you may think you love podcasts. It may be so that you like listening to them, but you're not learning from them. So everything should be tested on. But what you need to do 
is to have a fast way of testing and discovery, which is why, again, um, finding something that's bite-sized is really important because people don't have time to test a lot of things. But once you've tested and discovered, then you can nail what is the right mode for you, right? And if you have a good system, then AI will do that for you. You don't need to do that. A good AI will be able to tell you, hey, this is what a thousand product managers of your experience, your location, have. give it a go. And that will optimize it for you. But the key here is a discovery process that's quick, that's efficient, that's tied to what you need to learn. And that's how you will discover what is your best way of learning. And then hopefully a good system will do it just through AI and constantly optimize it. So in a traditional setting without AI, of course, we have to be mindful that we might spend some wastage in terms of time to discover what is the best way for us to learn. So that is something that we have to accept. But of course, as you mentioned with AI, which actually is part of my next question, that would help us to reduce the kind of wastage because AI can, based on the profile of 10,000 other similar people, to propose what may be the next best thing. What other use case do, would AI have in such instance? As well as my follow-up question would be, how would even things like Metaverse have this impact on learning? Because it seems to be another use case for learning as well. Yeah, so I think, yeah, you're right. Just going back to your question, when you don't have AI, then that discovery process needs to be done by the individual without any assumptions. And it just needs to be fast and efficient. That's the key thing. I think AI has got obviously massive advantages it can provide to the learning domain. First is around solving that problem around, I don't know what to, and then personalization. Those are the two key areas that, you know, it can solve right now. And because as learners learn, systems get more and more rich data that supports that personalization and create that ideal learning path for someone. I think if you look at what are the other use cases around AI and metaverse and combined, I think one of the things that which is quite interesting that can be supported through the metaverse and AI technologies is real world simulations, right? So especially if you've got, I think, let's say industrial training or on the job training, you're trying to fix certain things with your plumbing or whatnot, instead of actually doing it on a live production environment, you can actually simulate that behavior. Because again, one of the, one of the key things that metaverse is doing is bringing the real and virtual worlds together. So that's real life simulations on the job training without actually causing any issues with the live production environment. So I think that real life simulations are really, really interesting. You could also take it to the next level where you could say, hey, those real world simulations, mock simulations could be in a number of different areas, right? Because uh, you could, customer service is a great example. You could have mock avatars, you could have a customer sales avatar, you could have a customer avatar, you're dealing with customer service. You could have a sales avatar when you're doing call training, sales training. Let's say you've learned all these amazing things. Now you got to go practice it. You could have an avatar, you kind of practice it against before you go live. So there's tremendous kind of use cases for the metaverse and AI. I think one thing I just be a bit cautious of is that technology is always very exciting. And we got to get the basics right. And I think the basics are not right when it comes to learning. And that those basics are getting people excited about learning, getting people the growth mindset, getting people, helping people understand what they need to learn. And then once they have learned, making them happy and them feeling that they have learned something and fulfilled their potential and not vanity signaling. So we have to get the basics right. I think the technology is evolving very fast and the adoption of technology would become, would become explosive if we got the basics right. Another technology, obviously, virtual reality is very interesting. So augmented reality, sorry. And augmented reality is obviously a very interesting area because, again, 
when it comes to on-the-job training, imagine you're doing health and safety and you just flash your phone over a certain object in your office and then it gave you all this guide. So augmented reality is another very interesting area which can be applied to, to learning. And it's great to see so many technologies out there and so many exciting companies focusing in that. Wonderful. So when your company or HR would tell you about, oh, okay, we are going into metaverse or using very fanciful technology, always take a step back and think about whether you are motivated to learn to begin with. As you mentioned, that is really the key thing that companies should be focused on and also to provide the right path, if available, to encourage learning. Yeah. So what else do you see as the future trends in learning? And what else is five minutes trying to work towards in this current space right now? Yeah, I think so. We're really helping companies focus on the basics. I think if you, again, take a step back, the number one thing companies should be looking at is the engagement. So I think in terms of future technologies, AI, the metaverse, and augmented reality are the key areas. And obviously, as a platform, I think app first is where it should be because, again, trying to fit people into, fit learning around people's schedules and all that. I think, however, all of this will not work you have engagement, which is why it's about going back to the basics, right? If you've got 10% of your employees learning every quarter, forget augmented reality, forget, it's not going to change anything, right? They're not going to start learning just because they have an Oculus headset, right? So you got to focus on the engagement. So what we do is going back to the basics, saying, how many people are actually learning in your company? Are you building a learning culture? What's holding you back? And then we kind of peel the layers and say, hey, what's holding people back? It's about the friction around time. So we fit learning into people's schedules, we're app first. Technology is an enabler, right? The fact that we are app first is because we want to fit learning around people's schedules. Second, how do you get people, how do you give people learning paths? Because most people don't know what to learn. We use AI for that. So technology again is an enabler, but we're taking people through guided learning paths. The third thing we're focused on is just from a learning model standpoint, is we use a lot of gamification in our platform. And it actually, uh, we find a lot more excitement about our gamification in some of our Asia-backed customers than in, for example, in Europe, because obviously different cultures react differently. So gamification, again, is a technology and a big use case in corporate learning. You already see Duolingo, which is the biggest learning app in the world, using heavy levels of gamification, and it works. So we use gamification. Why do we use gamification? Is because we believe that social and peer learning is essential. So our gamification use case is around inside gamification inside teams and inside organizations. So social and peer learning enabled with gamification is what we focus on using that game core gamification kind of technology. And then really what we're trying to do is have a three-pronged approach to learning inside companies. So it's not just HR-led. It's got to be employee-led, which we talked about earlier, helping people find schedules in their busy, time for learning in their busy schedules. Get it, giving them the learning paths or letting them discover their paths. And then the big part in the middle is manager-led. So we believe that some of the people who know best what people need to learn are the team managers. So what we're doing is we have built this infrastructure that allowed managers to upskill their teams. And that's where the gamification fits in very nicely as well. So for us, it's a three-pong model, employee-led, manager-led, HR-led. And then all the technologies that we have baked into the platform like AI, like gamification, are really aimed at driving that core number, which is engagement. And for people who is keen to learn more about what you do, as well as 5 Minutes, where can they go to? Yeah, you can go to our website. That's 5Minutes, number 5, M-I-N-S dot A-I. 
And yeah, please drop us a line. My email is Saurav, that's S-A-U-R-A-V at Feynman's.ai. And I always love to talk to you and get your feedback. All this will be added in the show notes. Saurav, thank you so much for making time today. I've really learned so much about learning. And one of the things I'm going to do right away is to break up my two-hour slot on Thursday and bite-size it over every single day and take a leave from you to really reflect on what I've learned on the previous day, hoping that this will help me to retain my learning. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much. Special shout out to today's sponsor, Zencaster. It may not be obvious, but every podcast episode usually comes with post-production. The ding, swoosh, fit in and outs are usually painstakingly added in by a professional sound engineer. The sound also requires normalization and noise reduction to provide listeners with the best listening experience. Before you grunt at spending money on sound engineering, you'll be pleased to know that all this can easily and quickly be done on Zencaster. It comes with a soundboard for live editing, so you can insert any audio clips live as you record. You can also add intro, add, and other audio on the fly. And with its automatic post-production feature, you can be assured of studio-quality sound with loudness normalization, noise, and hum reduction that makes your podcast sound like it was recorded in a studio. One transcript for your listeners, Zencaster's transcriptions are produced by their language modeling AI and proprietary machine learning tools that are on par with leaders such as Google Descript and Auto.ai. To enjoy all this, simply sign up for Zencaster by going to zen.ai slash adriantan and enter the promo code adriantan and you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash adriantan and remember to enter in the promo code adriantan. It's time to share your story. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.